Hello, friends uh, in housing. It's Michael Braithwaite from Blue Door. It is a pleasure to be with you again today. And we have an awesome guest. I will tell you all about him in just one moment. But first, let's talk a little bit about what's happening around this world. Hey, we are feeling the, the pinch in the sector. Uh, now, more than ever, there's a need for deeply, deeply affordable housing. I define uh, affordable housing as rent geared to income. Uh, for individuals, but 30% of your household income should be uh, spent on housing, and that includes all your utilities. That gap right now in, in the GTA, you're looking at just over $2,000 for a one-bedroom apartment or uh, household income of over $90,000 a year you need to afford or pay that 30% uh, that benchmark. So the gap is huge. And, and to think that 15% of people living in Ontario um, receive Ontario Works, which is social assistance, or ODSP, which is a disability support payment. Uh, social assistance is about 720 for a single man, and if uh, a disability is about uh, 1250 So you see already a massive gap, never mind transportation, food, uh, and life, and other expenses that, that you might have, whether they be medical or other, uh, or if you have a family, the gap is huge. So our job, our challenge is big, but here's the good thing. This is why we have this podcast too. There are amazing people all over this country, around this world that are rising to that challenge and addressing it and coming up with innovative solutions. Today's guest uh, is no exception to that. This podcast is brought to you by my friends at Blue Door. We're an organization up in York region that's operated for over 40 years, serving our most vulnerable uh, in the areas of housing, health, uh, employment, and as well, with our friends from the Canadian Alliance to End Homelessness. They are a national organization doing great things. Um, check out their website at www.caeh.ca. Uh, they're doing great work. If you want to become a Built for Zero community, and if you're not, you want this, uh, check out their website and you can learn all about it, as well as some of the campaigns they have going on right now that push hard for uh, affordable housing for all. So check that out. Now let's get to today's guest. Today we have with us Joshua Barn. Now Joshua is the executive director of the Neighborhood Land Trust. I had the great pleasure of being on a panel with him, which I didn't really belong on. I mean, we are just starting off on this path uh, in New York region on a land trust. Blue Door is leading that work with SHS Consulting and uh, through CAS uh, in Toronto. We're kind of branching off of a, a land trust right now with uh, some support from Habitat. But anyways, we're, we're just starting along. But Joshua has been at this for I think about eight years, and he's going to tell us more about his uh, his journey. But when I was talking with him, I'm like, this is someone we have to have on the podcast. Listen, we talked about innovative solutions, the solutions to affordable housing, and community land trusts definitely play a big part. So without further ado, Joshua, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, looking forward to the conversation today. Awesome. We ask uh, the same question of all our guests that come on, and it's a little different with similar themes to everyone, and that is, what does home mean to you? Yeah, thanks for the question. Um, I mean, first and foremost, I, I think it's a place of safety. Uh, we need to be safe from the natural elements. We live in Canada. It's freezing cold in the winter. Also, the social challenges that we experience in the city. So we need to have somewhere safe that we can go to to recoup and rest and, you know, be ready to go back into that world. Also, I mean, I think it's an anchor point for our relationships, our relationship to the local community, um, to institutions, service providers, and government. Um, I also think that, you know, 
from the lens of the community land trust, we think that, you know, there's actually like multiple layers of home. There's not just the home where we may rest our heads um, and the, you know, the brick and mortar, the building or the unit, but there's also the larger geographic area that we feel safe and that we feel connected to where we feel solidarity with others. And therefore um, we share our lives with the people in that space. And so I think also an important aspect of home we need to think about is, is our, our community in our context. We think of the neighborhood as a place that we also call home, we need to think about um, nourishing, protecting and building. You know, I love I love what you're saying there and that connection to community. And I'll tell you why, because uh, I and, and uh, my teams in the past have failed sometimes with our housing journeys for our clients because we look at the brick and mortar piece and think it's over. If we don't connect them to community, what we find is they feel they don't belong and they may end up back at emergency housing because they had built a community there, right? So a large part of housing someone is community and you pointed that out it's not just the bricks and mortar so thank you for that uh, now let's talk about your journey i said you've been at the community land trust piece i believe since 2015 this is your second role but you can correct me if i'm wrong but you know you've, you've been in this sector doing great work for a, a long time can you just kind of walk us through some of the journey uh ending where in, in your current role yeah thanks for the question i my early career was actually not in housing. I, I was a community artist uh, working on community-based mural projects. Um, I had the privilege in my early and mid-20s to be invited to work with young people in the neighborhoods of Lawrence Heights and Alexandra Park in Toronto. These are public housing um, neighborhoods where the, the majority of the housing in those communities are owned by the Public Housing Authority, Toronto Community Housing. And at the time when I was brought in to, to produce collaborative mural art, public art with, with youth, um, those communities were at different stages of what we call revitalization, uh, which was a, you know, a top-down process of um, redeveloping those, those um, community assets, which had been historically been 100% public housing, and those neighborhoods were being redeveloped to have a mix of housing in the context of those two communities um, in order to afford the replacement of some older public housing. Um, the development proposal or strategy um, was a public-private partnership with developers where um, two to three times more condos would be built on the same site as, as the replacement social housing or public housing buildings and the profit generated from the private housing condos and rental would subsidize the development or replacement of the, of the public housing units. And in, in that experience, um, in working with youth, trying to understand the redevelopment schemes and participate in community consultation activity led by TCH and the city, um, we often experienced, I often experienced that youth and other community members were critical of the process and specifically the actual macro development strategy. Um, and they were given opportunities in these consultations to comment on design elements or social development plans, but they were never given the agency to actually talk about what the development strategy should be overall. You know, the possibility of developing co-op housing instead of public housing, the possibility of developing new infrastructure for community governance that would allow the public housing tenants to have agency in the future. And tenants were really concerned that over time as their neighborhoods became dominantly um, housed and their neighborhoods would dominantly house um, private market tenants 
and condo owners that their agency as working class people would be diminished in that process. And um, I was engaged as an artist and through the process, I started to be frustrated that they were, you know, um, art was being used as a way to rationalize the development process that many people were critical of. So I decided to stop being an artist and go get some skills that would allow me to participate in more equitable development processes. And I ended up um, going and doing a master's uh, and doing my master's thesis on a community organization in, in Lower East Side, New York, called the Cooper Square Community Land Trust. And they're a community that um, fought urban renewal in the 1950s, 60s, and 70s, which was gonna see a similar um, you know, demolition and redevelopment of their community. And in, in, you know, as an alternative, they actually developed the first community-based plan to redevelop their homes. And they used that plan as an organizing strategy to force the city to implement their, their development plan rather than the city's development plan. Um, and they won that battle. I mean, over, over multiple decades, they were able to um, win the ownership of the homes that they were living in. And they put those homes into a community land trust where the housing would be owned by a community organization that was democratically governed and the housing itself would be operated by democratically governed cooperatives. Um, and it, it put the residents in control of both the overall development model, but also the key decisions that would impact their lives moving forward. Um, and I, I was really inspired by, um, by their tenacity, um, by their commitment to, to justice and each other and their ability to implement like concrete community-driven solutions to housing challenges. And, and I thought, well, that's something I'd like to be a part of. And coincidentally, while I was um, in New York um, meeting with these historic organizers who had, who had accomplished this main, major win, um, other community members in my home community of Parkdale in Toronto uh, initiated a community land trust in our community. And so that's what uh, led me to become a volunteer initially of the Parkdale Neighborhood Land Trust, which is the organization that started, started our work. Um, and then eventually I applied for a job and became, um, became a staff member. And I've, I've been here since. Um, since then, since 2015, so eight years, we've been building this amazing community-controlled organization. Very cool, very cool journey. Um, and, you know, as we often say on the podcast, too, I mean, uh, when we want to learn, we don't have to start from scratch. There's so many great examples all around us of people doing great work, as, as you mentioned, uh, in New York. Now, for, for people that might not be familiar with a land trust, and I often say, if you had to go into a grade four class and, and write on the floor, <laughs> This, this is a land trust. Can you talk about in general what a land trust is and maybe some different examples of different types? Yeah, so on a basic level, a community land trust, which uh, the acronym is CLT, is a nonprofit organization that exists to own land and housing on behalf of a geographically defined community. And um, that organization purchases land or receives land through donation from the city or private individuals. And then um, its work is to make sure that that land is developed and or preserved um, for purposes that serve the community. And, and most community land trusts focus on affordable housing, either affordable home ownership, affordable rental or cooperative. Um, and one key characteristic of community land trusts is a, a commitment to what we call perpetual affordability. So we say, you know, we're going to never sell this land. It's going to stay a community asset permanently. And we're going to manage it in a way with a sustainable business model and a commitment to affordability that ensures that this housing stays affordable, not just for today's generations, but for future generations in perpetuity. 
Um, and so that's a really defining characteristic. Another important feature of a community land trust, which I think this is distinctive to the community land trust compared to other nonprofits or co-ops who provide affordable housing, is that we have a membership that can include, and well, often includes, members in the broader community, not just um, professionals and or um, actual tenant members. So in a traditional nonprofit, board members who make decisions for the organization are often selected. There may be um, local community members who are professionals or just general professionals who wanna um, contribute to the goal of the organization. In the context of our organization, all of our board members are elected from our membership, which are residents who live or work in our community. And so our board is, is fully made up of local residents and elected by other local residents. Um, it's distinctive also from the co-op housing model, which you know I really love because of its um, you know, democratic process where in the co-op model, tenants are the member owners um, and the tenants collectively make decisions about the operation. So they'll, the, the tenant members will elect the board of directors who get to make decisions about the, the homes. Um, in our in the context of, of our organization, it's not just the tenants, but it's community members at large. So we have on our on our board, we have three types of stakeholders represented. We have our what we call core members. So those are people who live or work on the sites we own. So they have a direct interest in 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 our in, in the buildings we own. Um, and then we also have uh, community members at large. So they don't actually live or work on sites that we own, but they um, they live in the community and they know about the needs of the community by their lived experience here. They may know about needs that we're not yet meeting. And so they want the organization to grow and improve and do new things. And then in addition, we have organizational representatives from organizations that serve equity seeking community members. So that might be the legal clinic or a supportive housing organization. And they bring the expertise of that organization in serving the specific needs of specific demographics of equity seeking community members. And so we think that um, by bringing those three stakeholder groups together with different interests, we'll over time, we'll be able to make the best decisions for our community that we can possibly make. And we'll do that collaboratively and democratically. And so the Community Land Trust is a community controlled democratic organization that serves the community through a democratic process that is transparent and open. Construct, a social enterprise by Blue Door, provides high-quality residential and commercial construction and property services in the greater Toronto area. More than a business with a heart, Construct is a real solution to preventing and ending homelessness. Through its eight-week paid skills trades training program, complete with wraparound supports and on-the-job work experience, Construct lifts people out of poverty and into opportunity. To hire Construct for your next project or learn more about Construct's employment program, visit constructgta.ca. Thank you so much. That is, uh, I think if I was a grade four, I'd, I'd pick pick up on that. And that's what we want is just to keep it simple. Now, uh, in your case, too, I mean, I think what we're seeing, one of the, the challenges to affordable housing is that uh, we're losing a lot to, of course, crumbling infrastructure. Also, the private market is is you know buying up these buildings that were generally affordable over time, and and then when they're bought up, they're no longer affordable. Um, and so it's a way, as you said, in perpetuity of keeping these affordable forever. Because if they're lost to a different sector, that's not going to happen. Let's talk about uh, your land trust. How did it come about? How many buildings now? Who does it serve? Uh, what are the what are the future plans? What's the mandate? Yeah, thanks so much. So. 
you know, our organization was initiated back in 2015. And at that time, our community was in a sort of late stage of gentrification. Uh, we had seen um, property values go up, a lot of increasing evictions of both tenants and commercial tenants. And with higher land values, um, lower profit land uses were being pushed out um, and being replaced by higher profit land uses. And what are those lower profit land uses? Well, the lower profit land uses are the land uses that we generally benefit from um, the most. So um, they could be um, spaces where nonprofits um, provide services to residents. It could be affordable housing. They could be locally serving businesses that provide ethnic specific foods. Um, and so, you know, as we were experiencing like fast paced, increasing gentrification, those types of land uses were being pushed out. And we thought, well, we need to preserve the land uses that are important that serve communities, especially um, low income, moderate and low income um, peoples. And so um, we decided to use the land trust as a tool that actually intervenes in the land ownership. We, we take that land out of the private market through a purchaser donation. We preserve it in the land trust and we can um, make the decision to provide um, that, 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 that land um, for, for affordable, um, in, in affordable and, and equitable way. And so um, when we started the organization, we, we looked at sort of like the many ways we could intervene in our community because we were, we were losing housing, we were losing affordable commercial space. Um, we ended up deciding to start our journey um, by trying to address a, a specific challenge of rooming house loss. As you mentioned, um, as, in the rental market in Toronto, um, prices are increasing constantly. Um, and one of the most affordable um, types of rental housing that we have in our community is called a rooming house. So these are um, were historic homes that maybe once upon a time were, um, you know, were Victorian mansions and they had been converted into shared accommodation where tenants were renting rooms or small bachelor units at very affordable rents. And historically, when the, the market was um, not super hot like it is today, um, private landlords owned those buildings and rented them to tenants at, at very affordable rents. And, 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 um, and so we actually have the highest density of rooming houses in, in Parkdale than any other uh, neighborhood in Toronto with about 198 rooming houses um, providing about um, 2,700 rooms uh, and units to, to people um, who are generally like the lowest income people living in our community. And so in, in by 2015, and, and we were seeing that um, there was an escalation of evictions and closures of rooming houses. And this was throwing some of the most low income residents in our community into the streets. Um, and, and so we thought like, this is a place we need to start. Um, it's, it seems to be um, where we can have the most impact. Um, and these were also small buildings. So as a new organization, try to engage in the real estate market. And um, we thought dealing with a smaller project first would, would be beneficial to build our capacity. So um, our process started with first identifying that challenge. What is the local challenge that we want to deal with as a community? And we said rooming house loss and um, the you know, the eviction of, of those tenants into homelessness. We want to try to curb that and stop that. So we want to prevent homelessness um, for, our, for our neighbors. And we also um, want to preserve the affordable housing stock for current and future generations. And so the first thing we did is we said, we need to actually understand what's happening in this rental submarket. We can't just say like, we're going to take land out of the market. We actually have to understand how this land is, you know, what is happening with this submarket of, of land ownership. And so we, we hired a professional planner and we hired um, six rooming house tenants and we went out and did a study, the Parkdale Rooming House study. So we, we mapped all of the rooming houses. We spoke to tenants and landlords 
and we were able to discover what was going on. You know, there was a, you know, a, a historic, we were in a historic moment where some of the older landlords who had created these rooming houses in the 70s and 80s in a very different economic moment, they were at retirement age, they were selling their buildings, and the um, there was not a new group of, of, of owners who were interested in operating rooming houses at affordable rents. In fact, the types of purchasers who were buying rooming houses in 2015, 17, and all the way up to today are groups of investors and real estate investment trusts. And buying these properties um, as investments, not as affordable housing to operate themselves. And so um, they were purchasing the buildings, uh, evicting, uh, renovating tenants as fast as possible, um, renovating the homes, and then renting them out at double or triple the rents. Um, and so we thought, well, we can intervene by actually um, participating in succession planning with the older owners and bring the, these, these at-risk rooming houses into the community land trust to be improved and preserved as affordable housing. And so um, we, to start, we, uh, we sort of, we started to try to buy, buy buildings. Um, we had about, about a dozen failed acquisitions um, in our first few years of trying to, um, to just be a community group that was trying to purchase land. It's challenging and expensive. Um, our first challenge that we faced was that um, at that time, there were no government programs that supported the acquisition of existing rental housing for conversion to affordable housing. And we thought that was very shocking. You know, what our community needed was the preservation of our rental stock, but all the affordable housing programs that were funded, providing funding to groups at that time were focused on new construction. And so uh, we spent, you know, we had to spend actually about a year um, undertaking advocacy to the city of Toronto and our local councillor, uh, and we were successful in convincing them to implement a pilot project. So they made funding available for a rooming house acquisition pilot, and through that pilot, we were able to prove um, that with a, a you know an official a small amount of city funds, um, we were able to purchase a, a building and, and uh, improve it significantly. So um, our first project was a 15-unit rooming house um, where the units were self-contained bachelors. And it was uh, located on a street called Maynard in South Parkdale. And we were able to purchase it um, with the support, with about one, $1.5 million in support from the city of Toronto, and then $600,000 in renovation funds provided by the province of Ontario. And uh, we were able to complete that, complete that project in, in about a, an eight month period. So from acquisition to completion of renovation. So we were able to show that, you know, for actually um, you know, less than $200,000 a unit, we were able to preserve affordable housing stock. Um, permanently improve that uh, that housing and do it faster than other um, affordable housing delivery models. Um, and so uh, we we used that pilot to advocate to the city that the city should continue to support such programs through an ongoing program. And I'm happy to say that in 2021, um, the city of Toronto actually created a program that was called that is called Mura, so the multi-unit residential acquisition program. And it's a program, an ongoing program of the city of Toronto that provides funding to nonprofits like us, as well as the city um, to acquire at-risk rental stock that is currently providing affordable rental housing to, to low-income people. And it allows us to purchase those buildings and preserve them. Um, and so that program is, is in its second year now. And I'm happy to say that actually in, in 2022, we were able to purchase a second building 36 unit building on the same street, Maynard Avenue, um, through that Mira program. So we've been able to turn that pilot into an ongoing program where every year, hopefully we'll be able to preserve uh, more buildings. Um, and again, like we're really excited because through preservation, we're able to actually um, 
supply more affordable housing to our community at a very economically efficient um, in a very economically efficient way you know um, where new construction right now is costing three four five hundred thousand dollars per unit in Toronto um, we're able to preserve these affordable units um, for for two hundred around around two hundred thousand dollars a unit which is more economically efficient which means we can produce more housing for our community um, and uh, and so we're very excited about that we continue to advocate um, for uh, for the continuation of, of programs like this and unfortunately you know um, it, the, the biggest level you know at the federal at the federal level there's still no acquisition funding um, so it's one of the big gaps in the national housing strategy that we're you know advocating is, is closed as soon as possible so that we can make these interventions in these urban neighborhoods where preservation is really um, very important to undertake um, the last thing I should say just about our our, um, our portfolio is that so we started by we, our, our model started with acquiring private rental, taking out of the market, preserving and improving those units um, to be able to provide that affordable housing. But we've also um, recently um, been able to utilize the community land trust model to preserve existing social housing that was at risk. Um, so we recently became the owner of 81 um, single family homes and small rental buildings that had formerly been owned by Toronto Community Housing but which Toronto Community Housing in, in different sort of political moments had sought to, to sell. Um, and so um, there's a bit of a history there where you know, the Toronto Community Housing has historically had some fiscal challenges. And um, about 10 years ago, um, when we had a more conservative mayor, um, there was an effort to sell um, some of Toronto Community Housing single family homes. Um, the, some homes were sold, but there was a, a major advocacy push um, called Not For Sale that um, was organized by tenants of those homes, as well as other housing advocates and progressive counselors and stopped the sale um, and, and then led to a process where the city has um, transferred um, the scatter home stock of Toronto Community Housing to nonprofits such as our Community Land Trust so that we can preserve the affordability of those homes permanently. And so um, one, one thing that you know, I should reference because you said earlier that you define affordable housing as rent geared to income. So we're really excited that like in partnerships with the city of Toronto, such as um, the transfer of these 81 homes, um, you know, those homes are, are, are all eligible for rent geared to income um, subsidy. And the tenants are currently in that portfolio are, um, are, are being referred to the housing um, from the city of Toronto's waiting list and our, you know, it, that, that housing is targeted for women led households and households led by gender diverse individuals who are in need of affordable housing and will have access to, to these homes at rent geared, rents geared to income. It's just an amazing opportunity. Like we are like so delighted to be able to um, have the privilege to be the stewards of these homes. Most of these are um, three to five bedroom homes on residential streets in downtown Toronto. Um, these are homes which, if they weren't owned by the community land trust or another social housing provider, um, you know, would be unaffordable to any lower moderate income household. Um, but instead, we're able to make these homes available um, to low income to low income families so that they can build their lives in the downtown core and and so that we can maintain mixed income communities. Um, and so we're it, it's quite a privilege. And I should say that also, and it's an important part of our model that as a community land trust. Um, we own and steward the property, but we're not um, housing providers. So in each of our projects, we partner with other expert housing providers 
who we lease the properties to, and those providers provide the property management and the tenant services, such as support services. And in the context of our of our scatter home portfolio of 81 properties, um, we work with the amazing feminist organization, the YWCA Toronto, who is providing incredible property management and tenant services to those households. So, um, you know, one of the one of the great things we think that the, the communal interest um, brings to the sector is that we fill the gap of being an organization that's focused on developing new affordable housing projects and or preservation projects and then providing um, those projects to um, existing um, capacity nonprofit housing providers to continue to do their work to provide those services to residents. So uh, we work through partnership um, and, uh, and and get and we're able to get a lot done. Um, by doing that. Um, so today in 2023, we own in total 84 properties with uh, uh, 205 affordable rental units. Uh, and we have over, you know, we've, we believe around 500 um, people um, benefiting from, from the affordable homes that we own. And we're so proud of it. Um, so very proud of it. As you should be. That's incredible. When you think about it in less than eight years, those numbers are incredible. And so listeners, just to put it in perspective, you know, the focus right now, we hear about 150,000 homes in Ontario a year that we want to build. We hear about 3 million homes by 2030 that the federal government wants to build. It's all about new supply. But listen, we've heard numbers as high as 15, but I've recently heard uh, for every new build, there's 13 that we lose to crumbling infrastructure to, uh, lost to the private sector where they're no longer affordable. These are affordable homes. And so what Joshua is talking about becomes incredibly important in maintaining forever these homes in an affordable manner. I love your partnership model too. I was going to ask you about the property management piece. You just, you know, you, you, you beat me to it. That's so cool. And for a, a wonderful organization like the YWCA. And let's say it was a win-win-win for everyone. When you think about Toronto Community Housing, what had happened at the time too is that, uh, maintaining the, the cost for infrastructure to, to keep those houses up, but many of them had fallen behind, uh, had not been uh, invested in. And um, and so it, it was tough for them to do that. They were facing a, a uphill battle. So now they've got an amazing group like yours, working with amazing partners, providing that truly affordable housing, trying to pare down that waiting list, a huge win. Now, you're doing great work. Uh, can you talk about examples of others that are, are doing great around community land trust? Yeah, so um, there are, we understand that there's uh, over 30 community land trusts, somewhere between 32 and 40 um, community land trusts across Canada in, in five uh, provinces and territories. Uh, and so um, there's just, there's quite a few really inspiring and exciting initiatives. Um, I, 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 I'm happy to be able to share a few. Um, so one, one of the groups that we like look up to quite a bit, and it's, it's a more historical group. So this is a group that uh, was actually created in the 80s and 90s um, by the, um, the um, Cooperative Housing Federation of BC. And um, actually, you know, back then when they were first created, they became the owner of, uh, of a number of buildings. Um, but more recently, they've been able to grow significantly. And so they're, if you want to look them up, they're called the Community Land Trust. <laughs> um, and uh, another another term they use is um, the Community Land Trust Group of Societies. And so they operate actually in the greater Vancouver uh, region. Uh, so they're, they're serving a larger region, not just um, a neighborhood. Uh, and they, um, they're what we call a sector-based community land trust. So they are serving the co-op sector broadly 
um, and they're being supported by a sector organization, um, the, the, the Federation, the Co-op Federation in BC. And they've been able to um, partner with the city of Vancouver on, on seven plus sites where they're leasing land from the city of Vancouver and developing um, an, you know, thousands of affordable rental units that are uh, some are co-op, some are um, just rental. And, and then I believe now they're moving into doing some home ownership. They've also been very successful in, in stepping in when other co-ops are experiencing fiscal challenges. And so they will step in, bring the co-op into the community land trust. Um, re refinance and 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 then lead a, a an improvement process to, to make sure that 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 co-op can be sustained as affordable housing permanently, um, and and then even most recently they've they've actually um, been successful in acquiring, um, in in acquiring like larger rental sites um, in the market. So they're they're an organization that's showing that um, with the community land trust model um, we can actually um, produce affordable housing that will be permanently affordable at scale. You know they have a development pipeline that's in the multiple thousands of units um and so it's very exciting to see their their model succeed and i you know some some interesting factors that we're looking at there is that they're they're able to use um their portfolio scale um to create um efficiencies around operation efficiencies around financing and cross-subsidized projects which is very exciting and i think um a, a really important direction for our sector where you know there's a lot of um, social housing assets that are you know where you know over decades and decades equity has been built um that can be um utilized to invest in new social housing but to be able to do that we need like very effective um organizations that can have professional staff that are leading those processes in in in, in ways where risk is managed well and they're showing that they can do that that we can do that and they're, they're leading by example um and then you know there's also uh, many startup clts smaller groups that are newer um, that I think are, are are showing us other ways that CLTs can get organized. Um, in Vancouver, also the Hogan's Alley Society is creating a community land trust. Um, they're operating in a part of Vancouver that was um, the 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 home of a historic Black community that had been displaced um, by um, a viaduct development led by the city, and they're working now in partnership with the city to be a part of a redevelopment of that area where that viaduct is is being decommissioned. And so Hogan's Alley Society, I think, is a very um, dynamic example of a community that has organized um, around a goal of racial justice and, um, and you know, supporting um, the success and, and the, the continued development of, of the black community um, in, in, in Vancouver. And so very exciting to see that. Um, in Ontario, there's also, um, you know, across Canada, there's multiple um, indigenous-led CLTs. Um, in, in Ontario, as recently, um, you know, very excited to, to learn about the Temescaking um, District Community Land Trust, um, which is uh, a project that's seeking to create an um, Indigenous women-led land trust in the districts of Temescaking and Cochrane. And uh, it's being led by um, elders and matriarchs there who have a desire to, to have Indigenous-led uh, and, um, and 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 Indigenous-owned housing that would, would, would be focused on, on to serve women-led households. So very exciting to see that uh, emerging in Ontario. Um, there's also, you know, uh, you know, else, elsewhere in Ontario, in Owen Sound, there's a, an organization called Glassworks Village Community Land Trust, and they um, have actually purchased uh, 46 acres of employment industrial lands in Owen Sound, and are working to develop a plan, develop a plan that would see them building a lot of sustainable housing um, on on that property. Um, out in Chatham-Kent, also in Ontario, um, Opportunities Village Community Land Trust is, is, is developing 
um, a community of of homes and they're developing a a, a home affordable home ownership model on a community land trust um and you know uh it, you know it's sort of maybe to throw back to actually some some other historic community land trusts which are worth mentioning um, when we're thinking about home ownership um the toronto island residential uh, land trust is um it's sort of like a unique municipal or like government initiated to some extent um community land trust but that has proven a, a model of of uh, of providing more affordable housing than the market um, through a community land trust and a land lease um, a land lease on 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 government owned land so they, i think there's some like really great examples all over the country that are showing that the community land trust can be a, a really powerful tool um, to um, produce and then preserve affordable rental stock affordable home ownership and cooperative um, housing assets um, and so you know my, my 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 hope and dream is to see that um, community land trusts emerge in all regions of canada and are supported by community and government to have success um, because you know i think it's clear to all of us that um you know we need affordable housing that's not just affordable today but that's going to be affordable permanently and available to future generations but we also um you know i think we need to think really critically about um how we structure this new affordable housing to ensure that that local residents have 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 real agency in, in in making decisions around what type of housing is built and then also um how that housing is managed over time uh, you know in in many of our cities um based on the you know the real estate boom and the way that like planning has been structured to serve the development sector local communities and residents have been um, you know unfortunately extremely um disempowered through, through traditional development processes and the community land trust is a is a concrete tool to put community back in control of our housing it absolutely is now last question of the day uh lessons learned and if you're going to give some advice about to someone who said hey we, we want to do this uh what what are some tips so, so lessons learned and some tips on starting up some advice that you might give from from your eight years or so yeah. working in this field yeah so so i mean from our experience um you gotta you gotta start with who who is around you you know like it, it, if a community knows that it has a housing need and that and that there's a challenge to be addressed it can really be overwhelming to try to comprehend what it might take to create a whole new organization that's going to develop affordable housing and you know, real estate is complicated, so it can be quite overwhelming. Um, so, you know, I'd advise any new group, basically, like the first step is to bring together the stakeholders who you think have a shared interest in that goal. Those stakeholders can be just residents, they can be resident groups, they can be existing organizations, maybe political representatives, but bring those people together around a table and talk about whether the community land trust is an appropriate solution. You know, generally, is it the right solution? Um, that's the first conversation. If there's energy there, you know, even a small amount of energy, um, what, what we advise is that groups, you know, start a committee and or just form an interim board. Um, it's important just to get started. Um, these, these, this type of organization takes um, quite a bit of time to develop. And so it's, it's worth getting started if, if it's something that you want to see happen in your community. If you feel there's a gap that needs to be filled, just get it started. Um, we, we have like a, we have a commitment, it's community governance, you know, which means that, you know, we, we are electing our, our, our board members and so we're doing things through transparent and democratic processes but in the early stage you know when you're just starting something like we think that it's actually okay to um you know to just start with who's there um it's sort of to some extent a necessity 
So we, you know, we always advise people like start with an interim board. You know, your board can just be who, the people who are initially interested. And that interim board will work to create the infrastructure that they can invite more people into, you know, to develop the membership structure and then go and recruit members. And then once you have a membership, then you can start your democratic process. So we always just recommend that people just get started with, with who they have initially around the table, who, you know, who, who are willing, the people who are willing to work together towards a common goal and take it from there. I'd also recommend that now, you know, we're, we're very lucky. There's now a, a national network called the Canadian Network of Community Land Trusts. You can go to communityland.ca um, to connect with it. And um, so it's a great resource. You can, connect, you know, email that group if you're interested in starting a CLT and sort of get some support around some of that early, that early process. Um, and uh, also just reach out to other community land trusts that are like relatively close. Like we're, we're, we're all other, like the other community land trusts um, are are very interested in supporting um, new groups and uh, and so you know more often than not like we're happy to jump on a zoom call um, and and like help help talk through those early questions um, the other thing I should say which is quite important is that if your community uh, you know if it's possible it, it can be very beneficial to identify a sponsorship organization early on so that might be like an existing supportive housing provider um, or an existing nonprofit who is willing to sponsor or trustee the initiative until it's ready to um, to be an independent organization. And that can just help to sort of like minimize the administrative burden early on and also um, help to um, access the funding that will be needed to, to support the development of the community land trust. But in the end, like again, you know, all you need to start is to get um, people with a common goal in the room and start talking about next steps. Um, so, you know, I wish you all good luck and, and do connect with the, the Canadian Network of Community Land Trusts if you are um, seeking to get, get, get a CLT started and, and would like some assistance. Amazing, amazing. This has been uh, the most comprehensive and quite simple, I love it, conversation around Community Land Trusts. I think, you know, if you're, you're open to this, take a listen to this podcast, you'll be well on your way. So thank you for that, Joshua. Listen, if people wanted to check out your land trust, uh, where would they go? Yeah, so you can find out everything about our, our community land trust at pnlt.ca. And so um, that website's for the Parkdale Neighborhood Land Trust, as well as the Neighborhood Land Trust, which is the charitable arm of the Parkdale Neighborhood Land Trust. So um, you'll, you'll see information on both organizations there. And um, if you're interested in learning more, just reach out. Um, our contact's on the website, and we look forward to hearing from you. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for for the time uh, and, and for lending your talent to this podcast. Amazing. Uh, congratulations. Uh, like monumental uh, movement uh, with, with, I think, 84, you said? Is it 84? 80, 84 properties in downtown Toronto owned by the Parkdale community. Wow. Yeah. From zero yeah. to 84 in less than eight years. Incredible. And it was done and pushed by community so 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 cool uh it can be done and you're showing us how thank you so much for joining us today thank you for all you do thanks so much have a great day man i'm inspired by that we are we're starting a community land trust and as joshua talked about in york region we're doing this um and it's not blue specific we we did what he said we had a bunch of people around the table it's actually started by mayor john taylor in a sense uh, Mayor of Newmarket, who said, hey, if I could get some properties, what's the best way to make sure they're, they're uh, best use to the community and affordable housing? Uh, and of course, that's through a community land trust. We are expanding a land trust out of the GTA uh, called CAS, which is very exciting. So we're, I've learned so much today. So appreciate individuals like Joshua. Like I said, when I sat on that panel with him, I thought, I need to get this guy on the 
on the show to talk more about um, this way of preserving and growing affordable housing. Amazing work. Hey, take a listen, share it with your friends, tell people about this podcast. The reason we do this is to create education and awareness around homelessness and housing across Canada, something that's touching us all these days. Uh, so the more widely shared, the more impact we'll have. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time on the way home. I'm Andrea Askowitz. And I'm Allison Langer. And we are the hosts of Writing Class Radio, a podcast, but we are so much more. We have writing classes. So if you are looking for live online classes where you can join a community, write to a prompt, get feedback, and get better, check out all our classes at writingclassradio.com. And listen to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts and at writingclassradio.com. Produced by Cryer Media and distributed by the Sound Off Media Company. 